Sincere apologies for the extra late start tonight. I have an exciting guest that will be joining us later, and I wanted to uh, to, to secure that. I didn't I didn't have time to do it earlier today, so sorry about that. Anyway, what are we talking about tonight? Well, most of the most of the the show I'm going to devote to this subject of diacetyl and acetylpropanol and the other dictones that that created so much interest three months ago when I went and I, I, I took it upon myself to test some liquids. I decided I need to do it and it created just a firestorm. Typically in the e-cigarette community, there's like a 72-hour window of people paying attention to something. This topic, you know, maybe the, the way I saw it, maybe lasted a week. My, my intent of doing this, if, if if somehow you're not familiar with this, or you forget, or if you forget some of the some of my explanation of my motivation, was not to single out a, a single vendor and say, "Hey, look, these people are bad." Although that's unfortunately what the end result was for some people. That was not my motivation. My motivation was to raise awareness of a study that was largely ignored and has humongous, huge implications for this industry, this community, whatever you want to call it. Right, Dr. Farsalinos, he came out with this study uh, several months ago, before you know, months before I did, I did my thing. I think my testing and found that seventy-four percent of these liquids that he tested contained far higher than trace amounts of either diacetyl or acetylpropanol. Many of these liquids were advertised. Many, I'm not sure if it's many or all. I don't even remember at this point, but many were advertised as being diacetyl and acetylpropanol free. And then, you know, he published this story and nobody really noticed. You know who did notice was when the BBC, they did the same exact thing as I did. What they did, no different. They went out and they bought some e-liquid and they sent it to a lab to be tested. Lo and behold, one of the butterscotch flavors comes back and there was a, you know, like a tidal wave of press that was certainly mainstream media, but really somehow somewhat localized to, to the EU, which surprised me that well, there's reason. I, I was initially surprised that, you know, our American anti-nicotine, anti-vaping, so-called pro-public health people, I, I was surprised they didn't latch on to this. Um, and the reason why they haven't yet is because they're just waiting for some one or two studies to be completed here in America, and then they will take off and run with it. So anyway, um, I'm, I'm getting too much into this now because I need to do it later. But uh, but the reason why I'm bringing this up tonight is because I don't know why, I don't know what has prompted this, but in the past two weeks, there's been this, this huge renewed interest in the subject. I don't know where it's coming from. And now it's not, you know, before people were just talking about the chemicals and maybe me and Suicide Bunny, which I don't, I don't see what the use in that is, but that's, that's, it's certainly useful to talk about the chemicals and talk about how they can be dangerous, not only to health, but to to the health of vapors, but to the health of the community, which I'll go into a bit more later. But now it's not just that. Now people are talking about other people who are trying to do good things, trying to do the right thing, and they're getting their names dragged through the mud. 
and I don't understand it. The, the, there's crazy stuff going on. So I figured I had to bring it up again. So I'll get into that in a bit. Otherwise, just... All right, let me... I'm supposed to push this button, and then we'll start the show. Show. Yeah, I was kind of afraid of that. Anyway, welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I am fascinated with irrational behavior and how easy it is to just take thoughts, whims, accusations, throw it out there and garner enormous popular support for it. it, it it's amazing. I've This is, of course, related to the e-cig industry, but elsewhere also. As far as... Uh, as far as what I've been, I, you know, the two main topics I cover on this program are e-cigarette news and um, police abuse. Last week, I devoted nearly the entire program to go over all of these instances of police abuse that I honestly believe involve police misconduct that was far greater and far more extreme than what happened in the Eric Garner case, which generated nationwide attention. And I have a follow-up to one of these stories. Uh, you you know, if you made this stuff up, no one would believe you. There was one story I covered where there were these Denver cops. They were trying to, uh, well, they did arrest somebody who uh, was, was allegedly trying to hide uh, heroin in his mouth and um, the way that they tried to extract this heroin was by beating this man in the face with a closed fist at close range and repeatedly smashing his head into the concrete. Uh, then they tripped his pregnant wife who fell on the ground. Anyway, they, they later took him in. Okay. After that, the guy, there was this random dude on the sidewalk filming them with his tablet. They then um, encountered him intimidated him, threatened him with arrest, took his tablet out of his hand, without obviously without a warrant, and deleted the footage from, uh, from his tablet only through uh, the miracle of technology working exactly the right way at the exact right time. The man was later able to get that footage back because he had an automatic uh, cloud syncing thing, kind of like, I don't know, he, he had a Samsung tablet, so Google must, I, I don't know, Google must uh, provide some sort of syncing. iPhones do that through the, the iCloud. Anyway, it worked, and he got his footage back. So here's the follow-up to that. Two things. Number one, that cop who beat the shit out of this guy, who now has an FBI investigation against him, what was the reaction by the Denver Police Department? Now, typically, what police departments do when there's an allegation of uh, officer misconduct, is they put him on paid administrative leave, which is code name for free vacation time. Uh, but even you know, even in that case, you know, the cops off the street, not carrying his gun around, you know, whatever. In this case, 
They gave him a promotion. They promoted this guy. This guy who is likely going to go to jail, not from any local investigation, that's been concluded. They said he didn't do anything wrong. But the, the, the civil rights abuses, um, somewhat for the, uh, for the poor guy whose head he was smashing into the ground, but more so for the citizen uh, who recorded it on a tablet, those civil rights abuses are so cut and dry. This guy, he is, he's going down. I don't know what their thought was in this. I, I figure they think, well, oh, the poor guy's going to probably go to jail and probably be liable for huge, um, huge damages. We might as well give him a raise so he can have a little more money in the meantime. I don't know what the, I don't know. I don't know how you could possibly promote somebody who so flagrantly violated the law and abused this power under color of law. That's the first thing. Um, I found that surprising. The, the second part, sadly, I find a little bit less surprising. So like I said, the FBI is investigating this Denver Police Department for what they did. Part of that investigation was they want to talk to this guy, obviously, who filmed it, who also claims that the cop, the cops forcefully took his tablet without a warrant and went in and attempted to delete the photo. So he goes to the FBI. He gives them a statement. And then he was leaving the FBI office to go and speak to a local news station. As soon as he walked out of the FBI, they handcuffed him, the Denver police handcuffed him and threw him in jail. Now here's where, um, the guy wasn't too smart about one thing, the, the, the citizen journalist or the citizen photographer. When you are going to go and start, well, you know, he's telling the truth. I, I believe him because that, that, uh, the, the can. when you're going to go out and you're going to start talking to news stations and make a lot of people aware of some gross malfeasance on the part of the police, you better make sure that you're squeaky clean. And he was not. He got pulled over like a month or so ago and he didn't have his, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, driving insurance, automobile insurance on him when he got pulled over, right? So he got cited for that. He didn't show up to court. So now they got something. Now, normally, for that kind of a thing, you, you, know, you get a letter in the mail. You say, hey, come back this time or we're going to put out a warrant, a bench warrant for your arrest or whatever. It's not having an insurance document, um, not exactly highway robbery. Anyway, on that day that he went and talked to the FBI, they were able to get a warrant and they arrested him and they threw him in jail, which is something they never throw people in jail for not having your insurance paper. That being said, this guy is not the sharpest knife in the drawer. You're going to go when you're going to go up against the police. Get your shit in order, you know. That's his own fault. And you, know, you leave yourself open to it. I think that even if they didn't have that to go on, on this guy, they would have done something. But can you explain, you know, promoting an officer that does this kind of thing? Anyway, I figure you'd want to see um, an update on that since there was one available. And uh, hats off to K, uh, KDVR Denver for staying on top of the story. It actually has gotten some uh, some real press, some national press at this point.
just because the abuse was so egregious. But do you see what I mean? I mean, yes, Eric Garner, that case resulted in a homicide. He's dead. But look what these cops are doing out here. And who who, who is worse? I mean, it's cut. I don't believe that the that the officers in Staten Island really intended to to do much harm to Garner. I think they wanted to rough him up a little bit. I think they wanted to teach him a lesson. But, I mean, a cop punching a guy in the head and smashing his his his, his head repeatedly into the ground because the guy was hiding heroin in his mouth. I mean, that's... And then he gets a promotion. I've said all along, you know, part of the problem with this rampant police abuse is because the the... the the thin, the thin blue line, I don't know why they call it the thin blue line, because it's as deep as an ocean. So many, so many, listen, I, I would really like to think that most cops are good cops, and I think if your definition of a, if, if your definition is a good cop who does no wrong, tries to do his job, tries to actually protect and serve, um, I think that would be most people's definition, or at least part of their definition, of a good cop. But it would be it would be impossible for all for this repeated cops that repeatedly break the law, cops that are repeatedly harassing and violating the civil rights of citizens. It would be impossible for them to keep their jobs if there was not wide widespread support. And at that point, you, you're you're stuck with the well. You got to come to the conclusion. How are if that definition of a good cop is somebody who just does no harm, then why are the bad cops so shielded and so protected so many times? Well, most of these cases, in, in, you know, when, when it finally comes to light about a cop killing somebody or violating rights, you look into their past, and most of these guys, it's not their first rodeo. They've done this a dozen times. They've already paid out, like the Garner, the, the 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 cop that got brought up for indictment in New York. That guy's already had a lawsuit that the city had to pay out six figures because he was uh, abusing people's civil rights, beating people, making them do strip searches in public, shit like that. So my question is, like, are these cops that like either stand by and do nothing, or don't report? Their colleagues are they really good cops i mean i understand that the pressure is is enormous but if they all did it then yeah then i'd say yeah then they're really good cops but that's it's just not happening here's a case out of florida this cop had a history of not only here's the thing this is his third dui right and i think all three of them have been in a patrol car, either marked or unmarked. This guy, and I mean, he was caught three times as DUI. God knows how many times he was doing it. He would literally go while he was on duty and he'd buy a 12-pack, put it in the car and drink it while he was on duty. How do you keep your job with one DUI when you're on duty? Shit, man. If you're delivering pizzas for Domino's and you get a DUI, I guarantee you ain't... You ain't delivering pizzas no more. You're not working for anybody as a delivery driver. 
You'll be very lucky to be driving in a year or six months. Yet they, how does that, you know, how does that happen? How do, and it's these police unions. They don't care that their that their members are breaking the law. They would have so much more valid, uh, validity. Well, I, apparently it doesn't matter how much or how little validity they have. They're just going to continue doing this. They will protect the cop for any reason, no matter how heinous the crime that the cop has committed. They will continue. And the other problem is, in order to get an indictment, well, the DA has to do that. And a DA cannot be elected unless he has the support of the police union, and he can't do his job and actually cat, you know, convict criminals unless he has the support of the police. So we've got this vicious circle here. What needs to happen is that for matters of police abuse, there needs to be independent counsel. It cannot be on the district attorney to do this because his hands are really, his or her hands, they're tied. He cannot do his other functions. He cannot do his job if he has to put away dirty cops. It's just he's, he ain't winning the next election. I mean, what I think should happen, and I'm sure somebody a lot smarter than me could elaborate on this in a more eloquent and uh, executable thing, but there has to be independent counsel for any case where it's someone in the state who's authorized to use force, and that's mostly cops, but there's a few other. There has to be an independent counsel, and that counsel has to be, um, I, I, this is one of the few times I'm going to say this, they have to be appointed. They can't be elected. Because once there's an election, the police unions are going to they're going to get in there, and they're it has to be appointed by who I'm not sure. Maybe the mayor, I don't know, somebody. Um, it can't be an election, and they have to be. Uh, it has to be single term, fixed time, so that no matter you're in there, no matter what you do, you can't risk not getting elected because it's a one term. You know, pick it. You know, three, four, five years, whatever it is. Four probably makes the most sense. And that's what we need. And and the police unions, I don't know how to deal with them. I wouldn't even know where to start. Oh, shit, I posted the wrong link. Okay, sorry, this is the link. Oh, that's another crazy story. Okay, so this is the link. Oh, this will all be in the replay notes. This is the link of the, of the serial DWI cop. Now, here, this one. This one, this kid, this kid got the wrong lawyer. Because basically what happened was there was a, there was a high school student who the, the cops were going to arrest him for sexual battery on a, somebody under the age of 12. So serious crime. Obviously, you, you got to get this guy. He's a menace. So there were two kids in the same high school with the same first and last name, but different middle names. They went to the same school. So, okay, I'm going to give a little bit of leeway, a little bit of benefit of the doubt here. So they thought they had the right guy because, okay, he goes to the school and he's got this first and last name. Now listen, if you had done just the most elementary form of detective work, you would have found that, hey, wait a minute, there's two kids at this school with almost the same name. Let's make sure we're going to arrest the right one. I mean, a simple, hey, excuse me, principal, 
can I please have a list of all the students at the school? And you look at the list, they're going to be right on top of each other in the list. No, they didn't do that. They just went, they said, oh, that, that's the guy I got him. Okay, so I'll give you a little leeway. They figure, they see the guy, they got him, arrest him. Okay. Now, if he was in jail a day, two days, okay, maybe. I mean, the families, you know, they're saying, you got the wrong guy. It's that guy with a different middle name. It's him. This kid stayed in jail for a month. A month had, had nothing to do with this crime. Just had the same first and last name as some other kid. How could he be in jail for a month? How does it take a month to figure out that you got the guy with the wrong middle name? And the most the most bizarre part of this, there have been cases where people have been arrested and put in jail um, who had not actually committed a crime, who have been in jail two days, three days, four days, and gotten a $100,000 settlement. This kid was in jail for a month and all his lawyer could get, and he was a minor on top of it, and all this lawyer could get is $50,000? He got screwed. And you know the sad thing is, this kid who was totally innocent, that stuff never leaves you. He will, the FBI will not delete his records from the database of people who have been, uh, who have been arrested for sexual crime. Anytime he travels in and out of the United States, if he's crossing a border and they run his passport, that comes up, that you have been arrested. I mean, and what about all the people who didn't bother, you know, a bunch of people saw the story when it came out. Hey, this kid got arrested, must be a bad kid, in jail for a whole month. And what about all the people who didn't see the follow-up, that they got the wrong guy? This kid, his name is Mutt. It, this will follow him his whole life. All because of ridiculously sloppy police work. And it keeps going and going and going. I'm sure you all have seen this by now. We can talk about... I actually didn't talk about vaping once. The entire show last year. But let's actually talk about vaping. So I saw this, I'm sure just about everybody has seen this at this point, but I'll post it anyway. This, um, and we're going to, we're just going to see more and more of these. So this is a picture of, uh, there's going to be more information on this coming out soon. This happened in Utah. Um, I'm not familiar with that box mod, but poor guy or girl, I don't know. Looks like a girl's legs to me from the pictures, but apparently it was a guy. He was actually going and taking this mod to sell it to somebody else. Um, he sold it one day too late, at least for his sake. Now, apparently, as the story goes, there's been some more, a, a little bit, not not much, but there's been a little bit more information that's come out on this. Apparently, pardon me, apparently what happened was he didn't, and this is very... This is very strange. Apparently, he didn't even have a load attached to it. He didn't even have an atomizer attached to this thing. And it somehow, that is, it's it's pretty rare. Or it, it appears to be a battery vent. I'm not, I'm not really sure. It, 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 
well, it's a catastrophic failure, whatever it is, but it is quite rare for something like that to happen without a load to drain into. But apparently it did. Um, we're going to see more and more of these until people, and, and, and at this point, there's just no reason. There is no reason for unregulated box mods at this point, or, or two mods, mech mods, whatever. There's no reason. I understand if you build safely and you're educated and all that, that you're going to be fine. But there are so many variables. Even if you're educated, there are still so many variables. For example, the biggest the biggest issue in my mind is now more and more we're seeing all of these fake batteries flood the market. There is a huge demand for these high amp, you know, high drain, you know, 30, 40 amp, whatever. I don't even know what they're up to at this point, batteries. So when there's huge demand and these products fetch a high price, there's a huge market for people to take shitty batteries and just put a counterfeit wrapper on them and sell them. And, you know, yeah, you can avoid that too if you're if you're educated. The, the, the problem is there's so many, so many of these vapors out there, they're just not educated about this kind of thing. They don't know. They figured, well, they see everybody using these things. They see, okay, well, I'll just buy. They, they told me buy this battery, buy this device. They don't know what they're getting is real. I mean, it kind of doesn't matter with an, with an atomizer if you know how to build it right, but everything else, it matters quite a bit. Um, and I don't know what they're doing. I don't even know what they're doing with these box mods these days. It seems like they're putting, the, the, some of them are not purely mechanical. Some of them are electrical mechanical, which has its own issues. It's like, just just use regulated stuff. There's so much out there now. It's only a few dollars more. You have so many choices. A year ago, you didn't, you, you, had, you, you, had, you had like two products to choose from. Now, even if you want a vape high, or vape low resistance, whatever you want, high wattage, low resistance. There's so many, so many options out there, yet people insist on buying this cheap shit. And I really, I just, you know, to the person that was educated, I, I, I really don't care. I'm so sorry to see that, that, you know, people have hurt themselves and this is going to continue. And if you were, if you were educated, well, then what am I going to tell you? You know, you fucked up, you knew better. But all these new vapors that don't know any better and they're going into these shops and they're getting... They're getting, you know, products that are completely inappropriate shoved in on them. I mean, it's there's just going to be more of this, and it's uh, it's disturbing. Listen, this was uh, my dad sent me this actually. I didn't really, uh, I didn't see it. Um, and then I was actually out, and I and I he my dad sent this to me, and I didn't know. So it's a New York Times article about the e-cigarette boom and how it, it's not a great piece. It's not great for us. So he sent it to me and I read it online and it's what you, I think would typically expect, particularly from the New York times at this, at this point, they've been extremely irresponsible with the subject. But then I was out on Sunday having lunch and somebody had, this was a Sunday, New York times. Somebody had it next to them. And I glanced over. I didn't realize this story. It was all the way at the top front page of the New York times all the way at the top, the first thing that you see. We're above the fold in the old gray lady. That I was like, oh my God. Like I thought this would be buried in some section or something. No, this was. And I mean, that's the one paper people actually buy. People buy the Sunday Times because for not for not not for their good reporting on e-cigs, which which it's not. You know, it's generally it's excellent paper, actually. 
people buy the Sunday. It's got a lot of, a lot of stuff in it. It's actually good value, but holy shit. It's it 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 it, it really it, it saddens me when all of these these supposedly liberal, supposedly pro- progressive publications they don't fact check, they slander. They they just pick and choose the most sensational and it's 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 kind of like the exact thing that you want to not believe that the New York Times is going to do, but oh. Sad. Above the fold. Never thought I would have seen that. All right, so I'm going to give my guest um, a couple of minutes to, to call in. Until then, let, let me just talk about what... A couple of things brought this up. Somebody um, had sent me a message that said there's this this renewed discussion in the whole diacetyl acetylpropanol thing. And it was happening in the UK on the popular uh, UK Vapors Forum. I don't really go to any forums anymore, so I didn't notice it. And there were some things that really struck me on this. Um, first of all, I'm going to start this conversation by talking about what I did wrong. I did make one mistake. Well, maybe I made a bunch, but one. Look, here's my, my one big mistake. For those of you that might not know um, the story, after I posted my test results for the two suicide bunny e-liquids um after some time um uh, pip from suicide bunny did post her own results which were as different as could be possible for mine uh this obviously created much controversy my initial um reaction was that though there's something wrong there's something seriously wrong um, I know what I did. I bought liquid at, at, at a vape shop in New York, sent them, you know, sent them to Enthalpy. They got the testing. Um, and lots of weird things happen with the, with the testing from PIP. It was from a, a lab that nobody had ever heard of, but, but whatever. The shit didn't make sense. And people were now saying, Hey, who's telling the truth here? Um, so I thought it was, it would have been a good idea. And I said publicly that I was going to do this, that I would go and do the same thing again. The difference this time being that I'm going to have somebody go with me. They're going to videotape the whole thing unedited, you know, from me buying it to me putting it in the mail and sending it off to a lab. So I actually had that all set up. And then the guy who was going to do it with me had some shit come up and said, Hey, let's do it another time. Let's do it next weekend. I said, okay, fine. And then, you know, from then, from, from that weekend to the next, just reading everything that, would, that was out there, I came to the decision to say, no, fuck this. I'm not doing it again. I already took my own time and money to do this test. I got results. I shared it publicly. The intent was to raise awareness of the issue, which I did. And now I'm, I'm looking and... From what every you know, some people were some people were there. There was good. There was progress made from this. There were some companies saying, "Holy shit, this is important. I need to get my shit together, and I need to get these chemicals out of my liquid." Okay, great. 
There were a lot of vapors saying, hey, I didn't know about this issue. Now I'm aware of it. I'm going to be more careful with my choices and I'm going to investigate and make my own decisions on what companies to buy on. Great. So that was good. Good stuff happened. But it was the reactions of people who saw how everything played out and just, it's the, you know, it's the only business. Can you imagine if there was, I don't know, a microwave, right? There's a microwave and some consumer advocate comes out and says, hey, be careful because every so often when you push, you know, it gives you an electric shock or it's leaking radiation or something something that's very dangerous because of this faulty microwave. You would not see, you would not see number one, the manufacturer saying, ah, radiation's not, not and, and there's like testing. Okay, you see radiation leaking out of this thing. You would not see a vendor of a microwave saying, oh, don't worry about radiation. It's not really that dangerous. And um, you would not see hordes of fans from this microwave coming to their defense and saying, oh, that guy who did the testing, oh, He's, I know, you know, he's not even the microwave business, but no, he was just doing that to, to get attention. And no, we'll, we'll continue using and buying this microwave. You'd never see that. And the reason why is because this business of the vaping, you know, vaping industry, vaping community, is that you are all junkies. You are all drug addicts. Uh, the, you know, putting the zero milligram vapors aside, you guys get a pass. Well, I think you guys, a lot of them are still crazy. You're junkies. You are addicts. You are drug addicts. And just because it is not a drug that alters the mind as significantly as you know hard drugs or even marijuana or alcohol, most addicts don't act rationally. And we see that in space. There, there is no other no other business where something dangerous could come out about a product, and people say, "Oh, no, no, no." No, uh, it, it's not dangerous, and I'm going to keep using it, and shame on the person who brought it out. It's, on, it's, it's crazy. It's because you guys are a bunch of drug addicts, myself included. You're all a bunch of crazy fucking junkies. If you don't think you are, i got a bridge to sell you. I'm not saying it's bad. Just call a spade a spade. You're an addict. At the least... You're dependent. Most people don't even know the difference between those two words. So anyway, I'm saying, oh, okay, they're talking about this in the UK. I, I, you know, every, I, let me take a look. And I'm reading through this. And again, let me just, uh, shit, let me, uh, I, I never actually admitted or told what mistake I made. The, the mistake was not me going and doing the test again. The mistake was me not going on the air and explaining why. So here, the, you know, I should have done that. I should have said, hey, I'm not going to do the test again, and here's why. The reason why I'm not is because why the fuck should it be me? Anybody could do this. What I did was very simple. I bought some products, I put them in a box, and I stuck it in the mail and sent it to a lab. Anybody could do that. So why does it have to be me? Why do I have the, why should it be my money? And there's these people saying, I read through the study and said, if he doesn't do this again to prove, and now I got to go and do this whole videotape thing and spend more money to do this. If he doesn't prove it, then he's proven that he's just a, a scaremonger 
and his intentions were, were not good and his name his name and his word is no good. I'll tell you what, if you really think that, then all you have to do is do what I did. Now, if you really, really want me to do it, if you really think it has to be me, okay, I will agree to do it. Fuck you, comma, pay me, period. Give me the money. Let's do to just buy round numbers, um, uh, two 30 mil bottles that you buy at a vape shop that'll cost, well, this shit, um, almost uh, 50 bucks. Then I'm going to need another $12 for uh, priority USPS and then uh, $400. So let's just, uh, I'll give you a deal, $450. Go ahead, send it to me. I'll be glad to test anything you want. But to suggest that I have to do this? No, fuck you. You do it. You. I'm talking to you. The person who wants an answer. Fuck you. Do it yourself. Anybody could do this and instantly prove me wrong all right. So simple. Hold on a sec. I got a call here. Uh, questions and comments are welcome. Via the phone, 347-308-8329. Just push the number one once you hear the British lady talking. Uh, call her in the 928 area code. You're on the air. Hello, Russ. It's, hello, Russ. It's Lou Ritter. How are you, sir? Oh, hey, Lou. What's going on? Hey, listen, let me just um, let me just finish up with the... the am I finished with this yet? Uh, I think so. Hang on. I, I, I'm going to turn... Uh, I'll, I'll have you on in like less than 30... Some. I got to figure out if I got any more ranting to do, but uh, I'll have you on in two seconds. <laughs> Go ahead. All right. Yeah, that's my special guest for the evening. <laughs> and and that, you know what? It's uh, there's uh, two more things. Number one, another reason I decided not to do it again. I saw other people started doing this. Companies and posting the results. I don't know why they didn't get much uh, attention, but other companies went out and said, "Hey, I'm going to do this." Went, got some testing done, and boom, comes back with a diacetyl, acetylpropanol, or both in the same liquids that I tested. Another thing, why should I Why should I do it with Suicide Bunny again? Well, at this point, you've made up your mind. You've seen how this whole thing played out. Something went wrong. Either I did something malicious and uh, misleading and wrong, or the other side, somewhere, somebody did something wrong. You've made up your opinion on that. If I were to test something, I'd really prefer to test something completely different. And that's really what I hoped would happen. Would, and, and, and perhaps the main barrier to this is just the cost of doing this. Like I said, two, two liquids, it's going to be like 400 bucks. I really hope to see more of that happening. And I mean, I get it. People don't want to just, people want their vendors doing this. They don't want to, you know, people are happy to police and to ask questions, but at a certain point, it's money. Anyway, so... That's my little rant as as to how this pertains to me. You think my name my name's mud? Prove it. Go do the testing. Do it yourself. Post the results. You want me to do it? Fuck you. Pay me. All right. So here's what I saw. Um. Regarding the issue, you see, it's come up a bunch lately, and now instead of just uh. 
instead of just people talking about the chemicals, people are dragging people's names, particularly AMSA, through the mud. And that really pisses me off. I don't care what AMSA is doing um, as it pertains to me as a vapor because I am not an e-liquid manufacturer. Frankly, it's none of my business what they're doing. I'm pleased that it appears that there's a bunch of concerned people who want to make standards for themselves to do this sort of thing. But then I saw some really wacky stuff. Let me let me, let me me read this, and then uh, Lou Ritter will be on in a second, and he can talk about this. Here, here's what one of the most popular comments. That's a good, a nice thing about Reddit, is you can tell exactly um, how the hive mind is working, so to speak. You can see how much people are paying attention to a comment because of the, the voting. So anyway, so here are this uh, anonymous poster with a throwaway account name of OOK11111. Said, okay, throwaway time. That means just an, an, an anonymous account. Here it is for you, since this comes up on the subreddit. But aside from vendors and a select few, no one realizes how complicated this issue is. All the evidence that diacetyl at large, as in outside of the popcorn factory tragedy, is harmful, is anecdotal, period. So he's saying that, uh, I don't know. He's saying the evidence that diacetyl is bad is anecdotal. Okay. That being said, people have the right to know and everyone should absolutely have their liquid tested. However, many vendors in the sub and industry have been communicating over the past six months to a year on this issue. There are a lot of politics and money behind this issue, unfortunately. I'm using a throwaway as not to incite a fight or get any informants in trouble. Some of you know who AIMSA is. AIMSA is a, quote, trade organization, unquote, who has deemed themselves a regulated authority for e-juice testing. Unfortunately, while possibly having good things in mind, AIMSA standards and guidelines are 100% meaningless, as I've seen someone recently put it. They basically exist to strong-arm vendors and start witch hunts, suicide bunny anyone, and extort money out of juice vendors, juice makers. But AIMSA is so great. AIMSA is setting such a needed standard for this industry. Okay, got me there. Yes, we all need some regulation at some point. But we do not need it from an all-volunteer group who was pulling in 20 grand a month in just dues and took over 20,000 and took over $20,000 years ago and has yet to see a documentary on vaping. Someone is pocketing that money. And AIMSA has some of its members bully, slander, and harass non-members. Bombies, five pawns, the vapor, the vapor chef, etc. may or may not have been a part of this. Who knows? It runs really deep. Um, AIMSA has a man on their board of consultants who owns Enthalpy Laboratories. This man has stated publicly on a vape podcast, wonder which one that was, that 50% of their business is now from the e-cig industry. That's not just a coincidence. AIMSA also insists on his members using Enthalpy. Well, it all can't be that bad. Well, it can. You know why? Recently, another advocacy group, can't disclose that, thought something fishy was up with the testing and the financial aspect of AIMSA. So they took liquid from a vendor, not saying who, and sent it to Enthalpy. This is what happened. I didn't want to, quote, I didn't want to believe it at first until we ran the test ourselves. Three uh, 30 mil bottles of the same product, same batch. One scored high on diacetyl. The other two scored below testing units, uh, testing limits. The second test, two scored high on diacetyl. One scored medium. Lab two did the test as well. 
all scored high on diacetyl. Name of second lab redacted. Do you know what the defense was for this? The results will vary based on who starts and who finishes the lab test. That's not science and that's not safe. That's absolute bullshit that will harm consumers and businesses. This is why Suicide Bunny Juice's results were very different from enthalpy. I guarantee with you on my dog's life that she refused to join AMSA and they sent enthalpy after her. I will bet you that. The bottom line is that all vendors want safe juice and overpowering majority are already producing it that way. Enthalpy is not reliable and this is well known among vendors. AMSA is trying to extort money for people. This is also well known and verifiable among advocates and other trade organizations. People are profiting at the low, low cost of running a business, of ruining a business's reputation by capitalizing on the fear they've sold and forced down vapors' throats. This isn't about protecting evil vendors from unsuspecting vapors while the vendors sit on top of piles of money, cackling maniacally and pouring diacetyl into their liquid. It's about protesting vendors and vapors. It's about protecting vendors and vapors from opportunist, opportunistic scumbags who are exaggerating risks in order to scare vendors into forking over tens of thousands of dollars to them for shitty bad science. No vendor wants to tell anything, wants to sell anything hazardous, but they don't want to be extorted either. Ultimately, the cost of that is going to fall on all of his vapors. Now, there are s several things that this anonymous but extremely popular uh, commenter made that I can verify is completely false. He several times stated that the suicide bunny thing was somehow done by AMSA or prompted by AMSA or, or I can, listen, only I know this to be 100% untrue. I did this all on my own. I consulted with nobody. I simply took money out of my pocket, bought liquid, sent it to a lab, posted the results and talked about it. Nobody was consulted before I did this. So he's stating things as fact here that I, that I know to be 100% false. Of course, for me, that kind of raises a big red flag on all of these other claims that are posted without any, um, without any proof. Here's some more from this lady or gentleman, hard to tell. The fact that I have to use a throwaway account is, is worse. Um, this industry is full of easily scared consumers. Juice makers can't defend themselves publicly against witch hunts, even if they have all the facts. It's leverage used by predatory people like AMSA. They are without a doubt 100% bonafide scaremongering profiteers. They're damaging the industry more than helping it. I don't care how many times they testify to the FDA. The FDA is not going to give them a pass, nor is the FDA working with them as they claim. There's a reason they only have 22 members when there are thousands of people making liquid and selling it in the country. So let me see if I got this right. RJ Reynolds can sell sticks that cause people to inhale diacetyl and a whole a host of additional chemicals and tar that we know causes all kinds of problems. Nobody at the FDA has a problem with it because they've done all the studies and longitudinal longitudinal observations to ex examine the health impacts on study participants in clin clinical blinded and reviewed studies. But e-cigs will be regulated because they contain diacetyl and studies will have to be done to determine what's allowed to be put into them. I don't think so. This is not me talking. This is still the, the other guy. 
The whole uh, diastole controversy is about dividing the community. It's intended to keep us fighting within ourselves instead of standing up against regulation that has nothing to do with these chemicals. The regulations they're proposing has everything to do with pricing out anyone who doesn't have hundreds of millions of dollars. When slash if the FDA regulates, we're going to end up with liquid and devices that are less effective at having, having people... Um, I'm going to skip this because I actually... Uh, five pawns and some other big names will continue to exist after the regulations as a subsidiary of Enjoy or RJ Reynolds, Philip Morris, or one of the other big players. They don't mind shake, sinking money into a nice facility because they're going to get that money back when a big player buys them out. Anyone telling us to do nothing other than predict it? Oh. All right. Here's the, uh, here's the kicker. Fuck you, Enthalpy. Fuck you, AIMSA. Fuck you, some user who posted relevant shit. Fuck you, sensationalist journalists who try to garner views by publishing the shit you don't have any idea about. It's clear that you're all just trying to profit off this community in the short term with no regard to long-term public safety or health. So, um, so Lou, tell us all about these millions that you've made by... Uh, for- <laughs> I'm sorry. It's been a long day. I just just to, to put things in perspective, I literally have been in my house for five minutes when I called you. I haven't even pulled my suitcases out of the car. I just got back from two weeks of two days in New York, two days in Virginia at the TMA uh, Collective Funding Workshop, two days at the uh, FDA Workshop, two days back in New York to see my family for the first time in a, over a year, and then back down to D.C. to take Dr. Farsalinos back to the FDA so that he could present more of his studies. Oh well, and in that, just and, literally flew. Then <laughs> had a twelve-hour trip home. Well, in that case, <laughs> now, now I'm officially pissed at you. You're in New York, and you didn't, you didn't ring me up. Oh, I'm sure you were busy. Yeah, but well, I'm, I, I'm sorry. Two two days to visit my family for the first time in a year. I didn't get a chance to call you. I'm sorry. That's all right. Actually, I did try to call you on the trip. <laughs> we just played phone tag, but okay. So so let let's deal with 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 some of this stuff. Um, uh, first of all, introduce let's yourself. Introduce, with, intru- let's start. Let's start. Let's start out with the the, the anonymous poster. And no, no. Well, well, well before before about, we uh, before we do that, just tell everyone who you are <coughs> and, and and what you do as far as e-cigs are concerned. Oh, I'm sure most of the people in your audience know who I am. Well, okay. I'm, I'm Lou Ritter. I'm the president. I'm the president of AIMSA, and I was elected into this position. I'm a consumer volunteer. I have no financial interest in the industry whatsoever. Um, I'm one of the co-founders of AIMSA, along with Link Williams, and I was elected for the the launch board, and then I was re-elected for 2014. Um, And we really have a great team. i got to tell you, man, I I am so proud of our members. I really, really am, and I'm honored by them, because what what AIMSA has done is, is, is unheard of. I mean, it's something everybody said couldn't be done. So um, we'll, we'll get into what Ames is in a second. I just want to address, you know, very, very briefly the, the, the posters and the threads. Please. Um, I, I believe everybody's entitled to an opinion. You know, I, I, this person is not substantiating any of their things because none of them are substantiable. They're, they're, they're just not. None of them are true. Not a single statement in that entire rant was true. And most of the other, I think all the other criticisms that were made, and, and it's all verifiable. The fact that they're not true is completely verifiable. So, I mean, I, they're entitled, he's entitled to his opinion or she, that's fine. But, um, you know, I, I really don't want to spend any more time talking about that. I'd like to, you know, what AIMSA is, AIMSA is. 
And the problem that, that we've seen with AIMSA is that most people don't seem to really know what a professional trained association is. CASA, for example, is a consumer advocacy organization, and they're responsible to their members. And they share what they share with the public out of a sense of responsibility, not out of obligation. They're responsible to their members. Well, a professional trade association is likewise responsible to its members. It's of, by, and for its members. Now, we just happen to be extremely transparent, and we share everything um, very, very transparently, again, out of a sense of responsibility, not out of a sense of obligation. So AIMSA uh, members vote on their own standards. They vote on their own bylaws. They vote on their own dues. I mean, we went from 2013 dues of $450 a month to 2014 dues of $758 a month, and the members voted on that unanimously. And it was all to cover the budget of what we do. What have we done? We came up with some standards that were based on consumer protections and good product stewardship, and the members all came to AIMSA. We have not done any pressuring of anybody under any circumstances. I go to expos and I make myself available, usually during the business-to-business -business section, and I chat with, with different manufacturers for five minutes and I give them my card and I say, you know who we are, our stuff's up there, our standards are published right on the website, um, and we're an advocacy group and we focus on the, the federal level. And we've had now four listening sessions with the FDA. We haven't posted the one yesterday because I just got home. But we're going to post that one too. And we always post who goes, what we talk about, how many people from the FDA are there. I think they've all been as low as 15 and as high as 30 members of the FDA. We've met with OMB OIRA. We've been on Capitol Hill. We met with the senior staffer to Fred Upton, who was on that letter pushing, trying to push back the substantial equivalency date. Um, our documents that we file with the FDA and with, with uh, OMBOI are all posted on our website. And our, our public comment to the NPRM of the FDA is over 100 pages, and every single legal argument is substantiated with legal citations. And every single science reference is substantiated with science references. I mean, our untold hours from our subject matter experts putting that together. Um, the, 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 the lawyer work, the, the work of the board, the work of the members all participating in every step of the way. So um, everything that we do is completely transparent. Gene Gilman is not on the board of AIMSA. Gene Gilman is not the owner of Enthalpy. Enthalpy is not a required lab. All the members will say it over and over again that they're, they're, they're allowed to use any lab they want. We focus on limits of detection. Um, we're the only uh, trade association that's got subject matter experts, and we've got great ones. I mean, Gene Gilman is on Caresta. Uh, he's on the ESIG committee of Caresta. He was invited by the FDA to be on the panel at the FDA workshop last week. Um, I mean, Farcelinos works with Kurt Kistler and Gene Gilman from Enthalpy. And, you know, our members are happy. They're not complaining. They're very, very happy. They vote their own dues. They vote their own board of directors. Nobody makes a dime. The money is spent. I mean, when we travel to the FDA, we usually go with three, four, five people. We flew Farsalinos over here from, from Greece so that he could be part of the TMA uh, workshop and present there. And Dr. Peloso was there. And uh, G Michael Siegel was there. And... 
Logic and Ballantine and Mystic and tobacco companies and Demetria Grafiotis was there from from Mountain Oak Vapors. I, I mean, it, it, this is all verifiable. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything that we do is transparent and verifiable. So, you know, well, and I've done been working forty to seventy hours a week for the last two and a half years with no vacation for free. I here, mean, not a dime. Here, one of the, I, and, and and all of our members get to see the financials. If anything was going on that was inappropriate, they they'd make it known. They wouldn't be they wouldn't be silent. Now, they're, if, they're happy, they're staying I, in AIMSA. Now, I, here here's the thing, Lou. This this uh, th- these adjectives that kept that keep getting used and words are important. They they mean something when. When an organization is repeatedly accused of extorting, of strong-arming, you have to think, I mean, first thing I thought was, forget about, you know, asking anybody specifics of how it happened. Is it, is it physically possible? Now, if you had an AIMSA member who came out and said, hey, I just left AIMSA and they strong-armed me. Okay, well, now that there's a story to look into. But how could an organization that is, it's completely voluntary to join, how could they even have the power to extort, to extort, how? To strong arm, how? I mean, how they, is they, how, they don't and they, they don't and they can't. I mean, if members talk to other manufacturers and encourage them to get involved, it's, it's outside of my awareness. I don't even know of it. I mean, I know that when we first launched AIMS, so we had, I think, eight founding members, <clears throat> and we talked and we told the story right on the air on Dimitri's show and on a bunch of other shows that we initially launched and we tried to figure out how could we get more people involved. And so we said, who do we know that we can invite? I mean, that's how Ames got started. Lincoln and I kept having the same conversation over and over again. Someone should do something to set an example, create some kind of standards. Yeah, I would. No, and we I, were at Vapestock. We were at Vapestock 2012 and we gathered, Link gathered up a couple of e-liquid manufacturers that he knew well enough to invite for dinner. And we sat down and we came up with the five belief statements. And from there it was just, we started out asking who knows who, who, who can we invite, and it started to grow. And once we launched, then everybody started coming to us. Once we launched to AIMSA, we never went to a single person and put any pressure okay, on well, anybody. Okay, well, you're there. We haven't, we haven't marked, we haven't, we haven't even marketed AIMSA. Yeah, and we've done not, done nothing in and, that direction and this whatsoever. Is, we let the industry know who we are and what we do. Now, and this is what one of the things that confuses me so much. Let's, I don't know, suspend this belief for a moment. Say. AIMSA really is out there strong arming and uh, and extorting and all this. Well, then they're not doing a great job of it because they only got 30 members. I mean, but and that and that goes beyond the fact that it's, it's just not possible if you're a volunteer organization, unless you're actually going up to people's heads and putting a gun to it. You, you cannot extort. You need force for that. And force just isn't an option for a volunteer group. But that but what confuses me so much is. Why do people care? Why do they care so much? It, what, you've got a group, you've got thousands of people making e-liquid, you know, probably hundreds of manufacturers at this point. You've got 30 on, on, as, as members. So given that you have such a tiny fraction of the e-liquid manufacturers out there, why would anybody care? Why would they care so much to come up with some, of the, some things that I know personally because of things that the people have said, that AIMSA sent people after suicide money, I know that to be false. So you've got people that are making false statements. I know that for a fact. I can verify that myself. Why do they care so okay, much? Okay, so I, I, can't, I, I can't answer your question. I don't know. I see a couple of things popping up in chat. Let, let's see if we can knock a couple of these out and just be done with them. 
We Are Vapors is, is I, I don't understand the controversy over We Are Vapors. It hasn't come together yet, but that crowdfunding was put out there by Link, and it's, he was very clear when he put it out. It's not to finish a movie. You're not going to do a documentary with $20,000. It was to start a movie. And I, me and my brother personally are in for 10% of the total amount that was collected out of our pockets. And he's got 400 hours in the can, and he got sidetracked, and he lost his video editor, and he lost some of the other people that were going to be involved. But Link has done all the work himself, and he did travel around. He spent the money for some equipment. He spent the money on plane tickets, and he's got over 400 hours in the can. And the fact of the matter is the story's not done. There's no uh, uh, documentary that can be done for $20,000. Most documentaries spend more than that just doing the the due diligence to see if they can do a documentary. So, I mean, what what happened, whatever's with We Are Vapors has nothing to do with AIMSA. AIMSA is a whole bunch of different people. We can just put that one to rest. Someone's concerned about whole tobacco alkaloids. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I I don't want to go past that. I I just want to put in my two cents about this. Listen, I... Listen, it's a fact that AIMSA, as an organization, never had anything to do with that documentary. Link is a part of AIMSA, and he did start it, but this was not an AIMSA thing. This was a We Are Vapors thing, and he happens to be on AIMSA. Beyond that... Um, yeah, there's, there's, there's an overlap. There, I mean, you know, there's an overlap in the, terms... The bottom line is, 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 is that the, the team of, 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 of We Are Vapors... You know, is is not responsible for the fact that a documentary isn't finished any more than Link is responsible. There was well, never it was never claimed to be a finished documentary for twenty thousand dollars. Well, listen, it's impossible. Uh, it's uh, literally uh, impossible. I don't I don't debate whether it's possible or impossible. Here's what I'll say: I know a lot of people, a lot of companies that donated to this project, um, who I believe have rightfully been really let down by the total lack of movement. There was there were promises made that this would be available by a certain date that has that has come and gone. Listen, I got I don't have anything against Link because I didn't give a dime to it. Um, um, I think he's a well intentioned guy. I think this project has um, not met anyone's original expectations. I think I honestly don't think we'll ever see anything out of it. I'd love to be proven wrong by that, but as far as Ames is concerned. Man, I would do everything I could to distance yourself from from that thing because that is, in my opinion, well, it's a disaster. Link, it's a link, disaster. But, but okay, but let, let, okay, so it's fair. I mean, I'm not defending We Are Vapors. It is a long overdue, but the bottom line is, it's not going to be finished on twenty thousand dollars. I mean, personally, my brother, between my brother and I, we put over two thousand dollars into that pot. So that's over ten percent of what was collected. I'm disappointed too, but the bottom line is, the story's not finished. And any story that would come out of that first 400 hours would only be a fraction of the overall story. And there's more story to be told, as we know. Um, And I've encouraged Link to do so, to to focus on it some more. But he he is, he just moved his family from Virginia down to South Carolina. He's been very involved with AIMSA. There's been a lot of stuff, but it's it's not AIMSA. Let's focus on AIMSA and get back to AIMSA. Okay. That whole tobacco alkaloids thing, we met, when we launched, we met with the two manufacturers at the time of whole tobacco alkaloids, and we said we're a verifying organization. We verify everything. It's a, it's a nicotine product, and we verify every single batch of nicotine product. We're happy to talk to you. But we, the starting place of the conversation is you've got to provide a GCMS to show what's in your product to our subject matter experts. And that's where the, subject can, the, the conversation can start. 
They didn't want to do it. They said it was proprietary information. We said, okay, that's fine. We can't give a, a pass on any ingredient, especially a nicotine ingredient or tobacco product, that when we verify everything, we verify BGPG being USP certified to the entire chain of custody. We verify the environments because we go and inspect every single lab. We verify everything, child-proof caps, tamper evidence, smear-proof labels. We, stuck, we take the labels and we sit in a bottle and we stick it in water for 30 seconds and rub the heck out of it. And we verify everything. So, you know, I mean, anybody who wants whole tobacco alkaloids, none of our members use them. They can always add them to their juice, but it's not an AIMSA issue because AIMSA doesn't test other people's products, and our members don't want to spend their money, their dues money, testing other people's products. It's not professional. It's not appropriate. You know, what the whole tobacco alkaloids manufacturers choose to do, that's up to them, and that's between them and their customers, and it's got nothing to do with AIMSA. Yeah, I know. So, you know, for people to be upset at AIMSA because we said we're not going to give a pass on something that we can't see the science on and verify when that's what AIMSA does. We look at the science and verify verify absolutely everything. Yeah. So there's that. Yeah. As far as the dues are concerned, the that we we the board proposes different budgets for last year we came with a couple different budgets and it's an open discussion with the full membership and they can edit it, they can change it whatever they agree to. They voted for it. And they, we came up with a more aggressive agenda to do more things. And, you know, these trips to travel, I mean, two weeks ago, I, I went off with our new chamber, chairman of, of compliance for 2015, and we flew uh, in three, four days and three nights. We flew to four planes, three hotels, three rental cars, and inspected four labs and drove over 600 miles. I just got back from another trip where I spent the last two weeks between TMA, FDA, going back to the FDA, and, you know, I mean, we had to fly Dr. Farsalinos over here. When we go to the FDA, we, we bring people from all around the country. We usually have four or five plane tickets, hotel rooms, and, and we do everything on per diem. We try to keep the cost to a bare minimum. We're completely accountable to the members for every penny that's spent, um, and nobody's getting a paycheck. You know, and the stuff over Enthalpy, Enthalpy is not a required lab. Gene Gilman gives AIMSA hours upon hours upon hours. He's well-respected by Dr. Farsalinos. He does studies with Dr. Farsalinos. Um, he's, you know, these people are all well-respected, and these people are also all involved in ERF. Again, trying to bring the community together to advance the science so we can defend against some of the other nonsense science that's being put out there and relied on. I mean, Stan Glantz and Talbot and the stuff that they're putting out there is, 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 is you know, certainly not helping us any. The members funded the first plasma nicotine absorption level study out of their own pockets, not even out of their dues. They dipped into an additional chunk of money. To, to fund the, the plasma nicotine absorption level study. And again, we flew Dr. Farsalinas over here and let him present it directly into, so what, uh, uh, to, in, into the FDA. So into what, the kind FDA. Of, what, what kind of things are going on at these meetings? Let maybe just talk about the ones that you were just recently at. What, oh, what are these, the, very what, first meeting, the very first meeting we had with the FDA, we went and we, we took our subject matter experts and we showed them the science of the nicotine, how we came to the nicotine standards, which we've now been told really equates to pharma-grade nicotine, and we verified every batch. We showed them the entire set of standards, and we explained how we do, what we do, and why we do. That was the first one. Then we realized from the questions of that session that they didn't seem to understand refillable gear at all. All they really seemed to know something about was sigalikes. So we ended up back at a TMA event. We ran into Dr. David Ashley, who's one of the senior people at the FDA, and we said, would you like us to come back? We can show you the equipment. And he said, absolutely. So we wrote to the FDA again. We never claim that we're working with the FDA. We apply for a listening session, just like anybody applies for a listening session. 
And we went back with a whole bunch of gear, everything from Sigalikes all the way up to Proveris and Darwins and everything in between. And we took stuff that was packaged as it sold to customers, open for them to look at. We asked for the big conference room so we could spread everything on the table and they could all walk around it. I think we had 20 FDA representatives. Brandon Ward came as a guest subject matter expert and gave a wonderful presentation on the evolution of the gear and the electronics, all of that kind of stuff. So that was our second one. The third one was when we brought Dr. Farsalinos back to present the plasma nicotine absorption level studies that the AIMSA members funded. And now we had the fourth one just yesterday. And that was not AIMSA content. That was Dr. Farsalinos' content. But he's a subject matter expert for AIMSA, and we have the relationship enough to reach out to the FDA. They seem to respect what we do, but keep inviting us back. When we ask for another listening session, they give it to us. They don't have to give it to us. But they do because they respect the way we present ourselves. We're professional, we're cooperative, we're non-accusatory, and we try to offer stuff that's contributory and helpful in the process that they're faced with. It's a complicated issue. I mean, with this, most industries, most products are brought to industry by big companies that have deep pockets, that, that fund their own research. And it's a, this is a consumer-incentivized industry that's brought up by mom-and-pop independent entrepreneurs that don't have the deep pockets and the industry is not vertically integrated which means the pieces come from all over the place instead of all from within one company and they've got issues with different pieces being combined together to form a, a device with a tank that comes from one place and an atomizer that may come from someplace else and a battery that comes from someplace else and, a and the, 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 the body of the device that comes from someplace else and the liquid that comes from someplace else with ingredients that come from five different locations. This is a complicated situation. And they don't have, the FDA doesn't make right rule, uh, regulations, laws. They make rules from within the law. And the only thing that they have to go by right now is that the Tobacco Control Act includes a debt for tobacco that includes language anything derived from tobacco. So zero nick is going to cause a big problem for them. Devices are going to cause a big problem for them. You can have a glass and fill it with beer, and you can take the same glass and fill it with water or orange juice. You don't regulate the glass. You can take a matchbook, and you can light a cigarette, or you can light a campfire or a stove. You don't regulate the match. So, device, so, so given that there's a market for zero nicotine liquid, the FDA has got a real, real problem on their hand. Then we've got the politics and all the lobbying that's going on behind the and then we've got all the special interests and the other agendas that are going on. This is a very, very complicated situation. Then it comes to the science. We come across finding something like diacetyl. And they, everybody thinks it's just a popcorn lung. I encourage anybody that, that thinks that it's just about popcorn lung, next time Dr. Farsalinas is on a radio show, call him up and ask him. He'll tell you that it's way more than popcorn lung. It has to do with lung disease period, end of story. And there are many, many, many cases of lung disease. If we can get diacetyl out of the liquids, why have it there? No reason for it to be there. And we're finding that it's doable. The science yeah. is not easy because these flavoring compounds are many, many different molecules that are combined together and they interact with each other. And one thing can end up leaving traces of something else when you combine different things. So it's not chemistry 101. You test for it and it's there. It's not there. 
It depends on which flavors are being combined and which flavors are combined by compounders in the flavoring supply chain. So, um, it, it's a very complicated process, and and Dr. Farsalinos is, is very dedicated to working on this. Dr. Pelosi is working on the medical science. I mean, we, we've got all kinds of, of, of resources, but we're not putting the funds <clears throat> behind it. So I want to I want to I can't I can't talk to the to the to the science and to the health part of the diacetyl but there's two other important really important ang- uh, angles on the on the diacetyl acetylpropanol dictone issue. Number 1, currently today if you are a tobacco manufacturer or certainly a cigarette manufacturer. Now there is diacetyl that naturally occurs during the process of making cigarettes, and that is in the cigarettes, sure. However, those manufacturers are not allowed to flavor their tobacco using diacetyl. That is currently prohibited today by law. You're not allowed to do it. You're not allowed to use flavors that have diacetyl to uh, change the flavor of your cigarettes. So if you, so whatever you feel about, about diacetyl, you think the health uh, problems are overblown, whatever you think, that's fine. But don't think for a second that this is ever going to be allowed once the FDA comes out with these regulations. They're already prohibiting it in tobacco. It, 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 it's a be, it's a known it's <clears throat> it's a known component molecule that can cause lung disease. Period. End of story. Uh, the flavors that we've been using were flavors that were designed for the food industry. Yeah. And diacetyl and acetylpropanol are not a problem. They're ingested via digestion. If they go through your stomach acids and digested, they're not a problem. It's when they come in direct contact with the lungs that it's a problem. And we know that diacetyl is in tobacco, and we know that there's all kinds of lung disease from tobacco. Not everybody gets cancer and dies, but people get COPD. They get all kinds of lung problems and coughs and hacks and everything else. The, 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 the popcorn lung issue with one minor component of what diacetyl and acetylpropanol do. So, I mean, there's the, 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 the flavorings are an issue that we have not, as an industry, fully addressed. We're trying you, to isolate it. You know, We're I want trying to find out how to address it, but the, it's not an easy fix. It's not a one, two, three, okay, we're done with that. Yeah. Uh, the, what I want to read to you is something that you may, have may, may or may not have uh, seen in, in these various threads about this. Um, this is from a, a Reddit user with the handle of uh, TT or, or T Toasty, T T O A S T Y. So this is these two comments are perhaps the, the smartest thing I, I've ever. I, I don't agree with 100%, but um, this is pretty good. Listen to this. When I first heard about diacetyl, it was bad. It caused popcorn lung, but it was okay because our favorite brands asked the flavor manufacturers and were assured and were assured. They didn't use diacetyl. Then the community crowdfunds some tests. Well, I actually just paid for myself, but maybe other people did. Then the community crowdfunds some tests, and it turns out that some of those brands do have diacetyl in their juices. The juice companies claim they were lied to by manufacturers, but they're still pitchforks. Other brands volunteer to have their juices tested. In some cases, like Bombies, we're still waiting for the verdict. Then the attitude towards diacetyl changes. People start saying it's not actually harmful. There's only a few confirmed cases of popcorn lung, and they're involved in the inhalation of crazy amounts of diacetyl. The amount in some juices is not enough to cause problems. Now, apparently, the whole controversy didn't come from from uh, from the community, but was stirred up by profiteers. 
some kind of big conspiracy between FDA, Big Tobacco, and the elite juice-producing companies. It's all pretty ridiculous, in my opinion. It's a big, it's a, it's a big mixture. Of, it was found by uh, Dr. Farsalino. Hang on a sec, Lou. Let me let he's me finish it. Who, uh, Lou, Lou, hang on, Lou, 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 hang on. It's uh, it's all pretty ridiculous, in my opinion. It's a big mixture of armchair scientists, hobbyists worried about losing their hobby, business owners worried about losing their businesses, celebrities within the community, and a fierce libertarian streak that seems to be common in the community. It's created a total shit show of information. Information, misinformation, hyperbole, and hysteria, and it's a lot of bullshit. More than anything, the whole controversy has led me to believe that perhaps the FDA is right after all. They want to regulate electronic cigarettes. Particularly, they want to mandate testing of all juice. We as a community felt that wasn't necessary. Juice was PG, VG, nicotine, and some flavorings. We knew what was in it. Well, clearly we didn't. And when uh, pressed with evidence of what is in it, we decided to downplay it just like the smoker who references his 90-year-old pack-a-day smoking grandpa as he ignores the risk of his voice. Whether diacetyl and these other chemicals are harmful or not, we've let personal convictions and our investment on vaping get in the way of logic and fact. He continues in another comment, and this is the best part. Uh, somebody said, well, is this the kind of regulation you want with the FDA's? This is what you're saying that we need? And his response was, I'm not saying that we need any regulation. I'm saying that some kind of regulation is inevitable. And the more community and industry proves itself incapable of self-regulating, the stricter the regulations we can expect. The way we've shifted the dialogue on, di on diacetyl and moved, on, and moved the goalposts is, in my opinion, an example of us incapable of self-regulation. Imagine if any other industry did this kind of backtracking. No, we don't use this chemical that's dangerous. Actually, we might, but we didn't know about it. Uh, turns out that we do use it, but don't worry, it's not actually harmful. The government and the industry lobbyists have conspired against us. That's why you were told that it was harmful in the first place. Someone told me that, I think, that, and, that the company or the industry was full of shit. I wouldn't trust them one bit. And when the government came and put their foot down, I'd think that it was warranted. If this community can't police itself on fundamentals like transparency regarding trace chemicals and juices, the FDA will win, and at that point, they'll deserve to. Well, I mean, there's so much going on in there. The last part of that is is really very, very true. I mean, the industry's got to show itself to be responsible. Every industry funds its own science except ours. Every industry funds its own advocacy except ours. We've got good infrastructure. We've got good people in good organizations, the AVA, SFADA, CASA, I mean, all these organizations, AIMSA, they're all doing good things, and they're taking bites at this problem from different sides. But the reality is none of them have the resources they need to really do it. I mean, to hire a federal-level lobbyist, what's really got to happen here, if we really want to have a change, is we've got to convince Congress to make new laws for a new type of regulation. I, uh, the FDA I doesn't make agree. the law. No. The, FDA, the, the FDA only makes rules within the existing law. Lou, I'm and gonna... the only window that they, <clears throat> that they have, as I said before, is that the Tobacco Control Act says anything derived from tobacco. I want to take a... Uh, I wanna... if, we could, if, we could, if we could get nicotine out of, out of eggplant, we wouldn't be having this discussion right now. I mean, there'd be another way of regulation. It would come up. They'd find another way to regulate it, but it wouldn't be as a tobacco product. Lou, I want to take a call here. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you have questions or comments, 347-308-8329. Push one when you hear the British lady speaking. Caller from the 408 area code. You're on the air. Hi. Yeah, it's Edward Wolf. Uh, I've got a question about uh, 
about uh, what AIMS's standards are for testing of e-liquids uh, with regards to diacetyl. And I know that AP was added in September as one of the things not to include. And also in September on the website, they put out a message encouraging members to begin testing. Uh, but as far as I can tell, there is no standard or, or requirement that they test. And it's an unknown if, if any of them are testing. And, uh, well, I mean, some of them are, are testing because it's published the results, but, but not everyone has. And so when I, when I, because I'm about to order a batch of juice, and when I see something that says diastole free, I know now that that doesn't mean AP. So I can't tell when somebody even says diastole free if they're including AP. So there's that confusion. But does AIMSA specifically require testing of both those ingredients in the final end product as a requirement for AIMSA members? And do any AMSA members still sell e-liquids that have diacetyl and, and AP in it? It's a very, very good question, and it's a very complicated question. When we first came up with the standards, we knew that diacetyl was a problem, and it was in the standards as a prohibited ingredient. We then later learned that the substitute for diacetyl is, acetyl, is commonly used as acetylpropanol. We then learned from our scientists that acetylpropanol molecularly is very, very similar, almost identical to diacetyl. And while there are no human tests on acetylpropanol, there are animal tests that show that it has very similar uh, consequences. So when we got that information, we went back to the members and we said, what do you think about adding this as a prohibited ingredient? And everybody agreed to it and it got added to the standards. But we didn't know enough at the time. We started to learn more with the help of Dr. Farsalinos and Kirk Kissler and Gene Gilman and the studies that they did independent, had nothing to do with AIMSA. They just respected each other enough and decided they wanted to work together independently. And they found that there were all kinds of flavorings out there and liquids that were making the claim that they were diacetyl-free. And the flavorings coming from the food flavoring company were saying they were diacetyl-free, and it turned out it wasn't true. Then there was the issue of trying to get that, the flavoring companies to take responsibility, which they didn't want to do. So we went back to our members and we came up with a flavoring initiative that was very, very unpopular because it's horrendously expensive. And the members were encouraged to start testing all of their flavors by batch. We encouraged them to consider trying to work together, but AIMSA could not be involved. As a professional trade association, AIMSA cannot be in between the manufacturer and their testing. But we can encourage the members and, and require internally for members to have evidentiary documentation, such as their evidentiary documentation on the quality of their nicotine, their USP certified diluents, and so forth. So the members started testing at different rates, and it's really impossible to verify every single flavor, every single test, every single batch. There are too many companies, too many flavors. There's no way to verify it. But the members in good faith were really trying to assist and deal with it at exorbitant personal expense to themselves. So we're now trying to look at a different way, and we've got some new proposals, which I'm really not at liberty to disclose until AIM says an association is ready to disclose them, but they're coming up with another approach. Um, and it's, it's, a more, it's, it's a more effective approach that will include results, and what they share is going to ultimately be what they disclose is going to be up to them. I mean, the reality is that when it comes to product manufacturing, there's something called product liability, and that's between any manufacturer and the consumer and the regulatory bodies. It's not a regulatory body. Ames is not trying to regulate the industry. We're just trying to 
have self-regulation and set an example. So the answer you're going to is contact the manufacturer, ask them what they have tests of, and ask them to share their tests. We are trying to get to that point of zero tolerance for diacetyl and acetylpropanol. We may never get there. But there may be trace levels that still appear. So the science is still progressing. The, the research is still progressing, but research demand, demands funding, and funding is expensive. I mean, a, a, a real clinical trial goes on for years and costs, can cost millions of dollars. We're trying to do some clinical testing. We're trying to do whatever testing that we can possibly do, but it takes exorbitant amounts of money. And you look at ERF on the website, and we show different tests, and they're all around $150,000. And that, those are tests. People have criticized them in posts, but they don't understand what it costs to do tests. It's very, very expensive. And this is a very, very complicated problem. There is not, it's not simple chemistry, and it's not a simple pass or fail. It's finding the protocols which will yield the low limits of detection, the low li limit of detection, and trying to find that number low enough in our recommendation, when we post it out to the community, what we what we recommend to the industry to do, it's not we're not trying to regulate the industry. We just said this is a problem, and we encourage the industry to try your results down to one UG or one part per million. Dr. Farsalinos has said five parts per million. We know that there's NIOSH out there creating a different level for environmental exposures for workers. It's a very very complicated problem, and there is not a clean fixed solid answer to it, we all as industry have to work together to find the solution, and no one person is going to find it, and it's not an easy answer. So to answer your question, contact the manufacturers, They're, they'll talk to you, and they'll tell you if they have testing, if they're willing to reveal it. Some of them are, some of them may not, some may have done more testing than others, but as a group, we are trying to address it. 90 seconds. Who? So, yeah. so it's a standard. So it's a standard that says that they will not add it and they will uh, both acetyl uh, propylene and, uh, and diacetyl, uh, but they, uh, as a member of AMSA, there's no requirement or, or uh, a representation that it is infested. There is no, there, there, that is correct. That, that, it, that is technically correct. It is, it, it is 60 seconds. additive. We were hoping to get it down to zero in all the members' liquids, but it's a complicated problem, and it's a very expensive problem, and there is no easy fix. We're, we're trying collectively to work together with the science and with the members and with the labs, um, and it's, it's a complicated process. We're, we're doing the best we can. What about testing the flavor ingredients and, and going off of that? I mean, I know that uh, Flavor Art, I think it's Flavor Art, uh, has a inhalation line. Why not uh, just go with testing the flavor? Uh, you know, the, that's, the where, that's where we started. And then only that's have where, that, those ingredients uh, be used. That's where we started. We started by testing the flavors. The problem is that the flavoring supply chain is not consistent from one batch to another. Ten seconds so it requires doing a test of every single flavor, every single batch. So think of how many different flavors come from Perfumer's Apprentice, from Capella's, from Flavor West 
from all these different these different companies. They all have big lines of flavors. Every liquid manufacturer chooses their own supplier or suppliers, and different people use a different strawberry, and other people use a different banana, and one by another. So it's it's test, 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 and it's very, very expensive. And a lot of our members have started reformulating and remove flavors and liquids from their supply chain, from their offerings, and they've gotten a lot of feedback and complaints from mem- from from customers. And they're in a very competitive environment. It's a very complicated problem because you've got other e-liquid manufacturers that are nodding and not paying any attention to this, and they're offering all the creamy, delicious flavors with all those custard notes, which are the most problematic ones. And a lot of our members have taken the responsibility to pull a lot of that stuff. So, But it, there is no way, not found a sustainable way. We've tried to encourage the flavoring suppliers to start doing batch-level testing. If they did it and posted the results, it would take them out of the loyalty loop, I think. I'm not a lawyer. Because if they posted it, then it would be up to the e-liquid manufacturers to which flavor they buy. The the flavoring supplier would be disclosing what's in batch, and it would be a test that would happen once for an entire batch of flavoring. That would be a cost that the industry could easily absorb because it would only come down to a penny or two or a couple of pennies per milliliter. But when you've got all these different e-liquid manufacturers that each have to test the exact same batch of of strawberry or to perfumers apprentice banana, you know, you, you know, you, they're, they're all spending huge amounts of money, and the industry cannot absorb costs. That's when the costs to the the consumers start going up. But the bottom line is that every single consumable product in this country, as far as I know, pretty much the world, but certainly in the United States, has some kind of regulatory cost component. This industry does not because there's no regulation yet. So the the profit margin on variable costs, variable costs, uh, fixed costs are things like your your store or your lab, your building. Those are fixed costs. Your variable costs are your ingredients, your bottles. The profit margin on variable costs in e-liquid is very, very high because there's no regulatory cost component. But when the FDA does come down with whatever their final regulations are, there's going to be tests. I mean, the the true GM, when we get industry-specific GMPs, they're going to be expensive. There's going to be extensive documentation. There's going to be extensive testing, and they're going to be expensive. So the manufacturers are going to have to bear that cost. It's going to get passed on to the vendors who are not manufacturers, and it's going to get passed on to the consumer. And we're going to see a lot of e-liquid manufacturers go away because they're not going to be able to keep up with it. Yeah, it really is it's well, an extremely yeah. complex ahead. problem. Go ahead, Ed. Yeah, some of the uh, flavor companies do provide testing. I think the last time this was a topic on Russia Sarah, he had a Greek company that publishes their data, and I believe that Flavor Art uh, shows it has that inflation line that does have uh, testing published. So there are companies companies that, that do publish so those things are available for manufacturers to use. Did you just say that uh, that you will get a batch that that says diacetyl free and one day it uh, it comes in and, and it is diacetyl free and then later on uh, another batch comes in and you guys test it again and it does have it that that, that it, can it, happen. There is in incon- there can be inconsistency from one batch to another. That is, is absolutely that correct. So yes, that, that, is, we, that is happening. We have found from one batch to another, the test results have changed because there's inconsistency in the, the, the flavoring supply chain. There's, cert, there's a lo- certain number of large flavoring 
supplier, manufacturers that manufacture the flavor. And then they go through different wholesalers on their way to final market. And some of those wholesalers are flavoring compounders. So they start mixing the flavors together between the flavoring manufacturer and the end supplier like Capella's or Flavor West or to Perfumer's Apprentice. Um, so when, when the flavor supplier says that it's diacetyl-free, they may or may not have done any testing themselves. They may or may not have tested every single batch. They may be relying on claims from the source manufacturer, and something may have changed because one of the wholesalers may have compounded the flavor during the supply chain on its way to market. So I've looked at your standards. Why not just have a standard that says that teams of members will only use flavorings that come with a manufacturer's testing result company. Because they're very that number one, we can't dictate to our members. We propose recommendations. Right, but the stand this that we have a standards committee and anybody can propose a new standard for consideration. The standard committee has all of our subject matter experts on it and other manufacturers on it, and they discuss a new potential standard. They look at the pros and the cons, the potential complications, the costs, all the various facets. And then when they're done with there and they have a recommendation, they bring it to the board of the directors. And if the board of directors feels that it's a comprehensive analysis, they bring it to the members. If the board of directors has more questions, they send it back to the standards committee for further review until the other questions get answered. Then we bring it to the general members in an open meeting, and we have an open discussion about it, and everybody has a chance to talk about it and weigh in on it. And when we feel the conversation is completed and nobody else has anything else to say, if a motion is made, then there's a vote. And if it passes, right. it gets so that, added. That, and that, yeah, that's the process. But this would be a solution, right? If you if you made the requirement that only flavors that have testing data are used, that would be a solution. You can that's, a poten- that's a potential solution, but there are very few that are consistently testing. So you're asking you know, the bunch of e-liquid manufacturers to limit their flavoring suppliers down to one or two. And yeah, then we've exactly. uh, we've also come across we've also come across claims from flav- food flavoring suppliers that claim that they're testing, and then so other people have gone out and tested those flavors and found that the the tests were not accurate. So it yeah, depends on what the limits of it depends on the limits of detection. We can't dictate to the flavoring suppliers how to you test or what protocols. I'm sorry. I mean, if you if you got a flavor company that's just screwing around with you, you can blacklist them. Say we won't. Use. I mean, if somebody you know has has bad products that they don't test, you 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 knock them out of your supply chain. Yeah, but you'd have to knock out most of the supply chain in order to accomplish that. But there's I mean, it's, it's, there's it's, other it's, people that do it. So but the, but the flavors it's not aren't like the, you're running the, out of screws. I mean, there's other e, people e, that e, make e, them. Any e-liquid manufacturer will tell you the blueberry is not blueberry. Blueberry from Perfumer's Apprentice is going to be different from blueberry from Capella's or Flavor West. So they all have their preferred suppliers because of the flavor that it provides into their final liquid mix. Then there's the but question of the, then the flavor <coughs> is, is taking paramount over the testing. And no, I'm, sa- I, I'm saying that these are independent manufacturers that have their own consumer base and their own product lines, and AIMSA is not a dictator. They make but their own decisions. Create, you can create the standard that says that you only use ingredients. I mean, if you're testing the nicotine and saying that the nicotine has to come through a verifiable supply chain, you have to have you know, documentation from the whole way, you can also say that the flavor ing- ingredients are tested for you know, sanitation and diastole and AP, and then if they don't have that documentation, that those products aren't used. Yeah, we'll go try to find how many products have that kind of documentation. You're going to find very, very few. Okay, well, we know of two. 
we know that there's one big line from Flavor, and we know that there's that Flavor, uh, there, there's the one from Greece that was pointed out before. They exist. I mean, we're, we're like using bolts, and that there's a whole bunch of bolt suppliers, and we're saying that some people want to use the ones that are, uh, you know, chrome-plated instead of the stainless steel ones. There, there, there's ones that you can well, use. Well, I would encourage, I would encourage you to, to, to contact the AIMSA members and, and see what their response to it is. Contact anybody who's not an AIMSA member and ask them to change their, their supply chain. It's a complicated problem. It's not an easy solution. And it's not a matter of putting one priority over another. It's a matter of, of, of dealing with a group of, of independent manufacturers who have their business, have their customers, and it's the smallest group of people. You're talking about 25 to 30 members in AMSA and two to 3,000 e-liquid manufacturers in the country. So, we're, I mean, AMSA is doing everything they can possibly think of. We've got the scientists working on this. We're trying to come up with every possible creative way that is digestible both to the members and to the with, with, provides the best consumer protections and, and resolve this issue. And we're bringing the most resources of anybody in the world to this issue. We're doing everything we possibly can to try to find a solution to this problem. It's not an easy problem, and it's not as easy as the solution that you suggest. It's an idea, but it's not one that's going to be acceptable to the manufacturers because they could yeah, wipe out their – it could force them to, to knock out 90% of their product offerings. I mean, you know, and then there's the question of, okay, well, what if we can eliminate the flavors? Because not every flavor has diacetyl or acetylpropanol. There are plenty of flavors that don't have it that are in the existing supply chain. So if all of a sudden they can only use the companies that have that testing, that may knock out 90% of their flavors that don't have diacetyl or acetylpropanol, and why should they be forced to eliminate those products from their product line if they're able to verify that they don't have it? It's just that the, the testing is complicated and expensive. The, the solution is complicated and expensive. And dealing with a whole bunch of different manufacturers that are their own individual businesses and trying to get agreement that is realistic, reasonable, and sustainable. That's the AIMSA motto and always has been. It's a very, very complicated problem. I can't dictate to a bunch of manufacturers. They wouldn't sit still for it for a second. Well, and here's and the... Uh, gonna get, but it's setting the stand, I see... I mean, I look at it as two different problems. You have one is the manufacturers and one is the standards, the standard to set. And so how the manufacturers comply with the standard is one thing and what the proper standard to use is another. Um, but, I mean, I, the, the, I'll tell you one thing that I'd really be curious on, and, I, and I've looked for this information, is what are the flavors that don't have diacetyl and AT in them? I mean, I think there's a set of them. I don't. Like, I, don't example, have, I don't have. Like I, don't have I don't have. I don't have. The, I don't have. I don't have the list, and it wouldn't be appropriate for me, even if I did have it, to to share no, that I information that because nobody, then I'd be then I'd be calling that. out companies. Well, here's well, here's he, uh, Tom. He, 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 I, I can tell you what. Can I, I, I get do in as here, guys? As a con- let me get in here yeah, for a sure, second. Yeah. So so Tom, here's another solution to to what you're proposing, and that is okay. AMSA has these standards and you're saying, okay, well, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? And I'm not specifically asking you, but this is more posed to all of the manufacturers out there who have this hatred of AIMSA for whatever reason. I don't quite understand it, but they say, okay, so fine. Maybe even you've listened to Lou say all these things now and you're like, I don't agree with any of this. Do it yourself. Go out. One day there was no AIMSA that didn't exist. Then one day it did. Well, Russ, so, Russ so, I got to well, tell you, that's exactly, uh, no, that's, that's, Guys, guys, wait a second. That's exactly what I do as a consumer. Even as the president of AIMSA, I still DIY. 
I make my own flavors, my own liquids, and I send my flavors out and have them tested, and I send my finished e-liquids, and I have them tested. And my last batch of tests of all my liquids came back at 2 UG, 2 parts per million. And I have very, very complex flavors. So it's doable, but I had to do that and pay for the testing out of my own pocket. I think I spent close to $900 in testing to have flavors and my finished, my finished liquids tested. And I don't sell my liquids. They're for me and what I use and what I vape and what I share with, with family and friends if they want it. But I take that expense and I go and have it tested for myself. And our members are working on this problem. We're trying to find a way that is reasonable, that is sustainable, that can be handled on an ongoing basis. There are people who are out there working on industry-specific manufacturing of flavors with tests every single batch. So there's, there's motion in this direction, but it's, it's not an easy solution. It's not a one, two, three. You're looking for a one, two, three solution and just say everybody should do this. Well, and you know, there's, well, there's, there's, there are plenty of people that said AIMSA shouldn't exist, but if AIMSA didn't exist, there wouldn't have been a plasma nicotine absorption level study. There wouldn't be standards that are represented. There wouldn't have been these meetings with OMBOIRA. There wouldn't be the FDA uh, public comment that we've submitted that's probably one of the most comprehensive that the FDA received. We wouldn't have had the meetings with OMBOIRA. I mean, we're actively working and trying to represent our members. Other e-liquid manufacturers are getting the benefit because we're the only voice that refillable liquids have. But we don't speak for the industry. When we go and have to have a meeting, we say we represent our members and only our members. We cannot speak for anybody else. So so here's the other thing, Tom. It's like, like you've said, um, there are companies out there uh, claim, that, that claim, and I believe, uh, unless they're totally fabricating results, that everything they sell is diacetyl and acetylpropanol, dicotone-free. So there's some companies out there who have it all figured out. I would say, I don't know, it's an opportunity to them be, be like, well, fuck it. We're going to have our own organization and you, they could do everything that you just yeah. suggested, Tom. They can they can say you can only use these flavors, you can only do this stuff, and if you don't like it, you know, you know, find somewhere else to go. But listen, yeah. the, just make no, your I, own. I or was to the, yeah, I was only speaking to the actual specific documented PDF standards. I mean, so that right now the the only way that I see uh, that you can know if you have diacetyl and AT tested liquids are the couple of companies that do, do it. I know Link Williams is, is his companies have put out uh, their documentation and they now have tracking that you can look up on the website. I know the vapor bar also does it. Uh, but when a company says that they're diacetyl free and they just say diacetyl free, we know Dr. Farsalinos has proved that in 75% of the cases or, you know, some, some variable uh, lower than that. But, just because they say it means nothing because they'll say our manufacturers, you know, told us it was diacetyl free, but if it hasn't, there's nothing we can do. Uh, but I'm going to go back on hold now. Well, it's not, that, that's, that's, that's an incorrect statement. It's not that there's nothing we can do. We're doing lots of things. There's lots of studies going on. There are a lot of testing that are going on, but that's not going to necessarily solve the problem because some of these molecules combine and you can have one molecule. You really need to get this direct from the scientists because they can explain it technically. I'm not a scientist. But the, 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 there are, are times where, where different molecules and different flavors combined can yield something else. There's a question as to whether or not, uh, I think it's acetylene or acetylene can, can have a byproduct of a certain amount of diacetyl. It's, it's a very complicated problem. There isn't an easy solution. If there was, we would have just solved it. We would have just done it and be done with it. But it's not that easy to solve. It's very expensive. It's very complex. 
and, and we're working on it. But we don't tell anybody else what to do. Our members are doing everything they can to resolve it. And I'm not going to call out any members by name, but we have many, many, many very, very responsible members within our organization. And it's up to you to interact with them, and they will tell you. They, they, they're, very, they're very honest about it. They're very open about it. And, and I would encourage you to talk to your preferred manufacturer. And, and I mean, I, I, I know right off the bat, I mean, at, at least half of our members are, are spending fortunes, I mean, literal fortunes, trying to solve this problem. <clears throat> and so it's, it, it's complicated. Many product lines have been changed. Many flavors have been removed from their product supply chains, from, from their offerings. It's 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 not an easy solution, and and we're not we we may solve it we may not be the ones to solve it. Hopefully, other people from the industry will get involved and keep coming up with creative solutions. The problem that we have in this industry is we've got a lot of armchair quarterbacks, but we don't have a lot of people that are actually stepping up and getting involved and trying to help solve the problems. We can criticize each other all day long, but that's not going to solve the problem. We need productive, constructive efforts and contributions towards solving this problem. That's why we created ERF. Look at the people that are involved in ERF, and a lot of them are from. Some of them are from AIMSA, Some of them are not. You got Brandon Ward from Evolve. You got Cynthia Cabrera from Svada. Aaron Frazier is a consumer. Um, who else do we have in here? Rob Reagan from Vapor Kings. Oliver Kershaw from ECF. Link Williams from AIMSA and Nick Vape. You got Adam Knudsen from Nickwood and Vaporcast. James Martin, uh, Public Policy, Jeff Steyer, Peter Beckett from ACETA and Public Policy, Director of Policy Matters. In our grant committee advisors, we've got Con Dr. Constantinos Farsolinos, Gene Gilman, Kirk Kissler, Clive Bates, Azim Chowdhury. All these people, every single one of them, have volunteered their time to work together to try to promote and advance research so that we can knock out some of these issues. We also brought in the section called Direct from the Experts because we get invited to speak at all these top-level conferences over and over again, and we get to hear the experts, but the world doesn't, so we brought their presentations. We got permission from GFN and from TMA, and so all the experts are there on a direct from the experts. You can see their full profiles. You can see their videos, the panel discussions. There's a list of about 92 peer-reviewed and published studies that you can just click on and go see the studies for yourselves. There's rebuttals to studies. There are studies that are listed for targeted donation and examples of grant committee. I mean, there's an extensive amount of information and work that's gone into putting this together, and it's all been done for a volunteer. And for the people in chat that seem to want to criticize me and my, my financial structure, on the one hand, it's really nobody's business, but I'm semi-retired. I'm a single guy. I did very well for myself. I was making over $1,000 a day as a consultant 20 years ago. I decided to retire. And I decided to retire early, and that's it. I mean, it's irrelevant what I spend and what I, how much money I make. Is I, I have my own, my own income and I, and I, my own investments, and I do what I do. It's, it's, it's irrelevant. It's not part of AIMSA. I'm a vapor. It's changed my life. I smoked for 33 years, and I haven't touched a cigarette in almost five years. And I see the potential of these products to change the world. And I'm, I'm doing what I can to, to, to try to make a difference in the world and try to make a difference to, for this industry and to protect these products to be available for smokers and for vapors. And I believe in the refillable product. And we created the only voice that's really directly, specifically advocating for refillables. So for the people that want to criticize, you know, you're entitled to their, they're entitled to their opinions, well, but the claims that they're making in these threads are not true and they're not substantiated. And Everything I, AIMSA does is transparent. And I think that's a good way to leave it. I think you've said it all, Lou. And Ed, thanks for calling in. Your questions were excellent. Um, there they go, everybody. Thanks so much for uh, coming on and sharing your thoughts, Lou. I think it's, uh, I think it was great.
Well, thank you for inviting me, Russ. And uh, you know, I, I appreciate what you did with your effort. I mean, they, the, the fact that they were accusing us of suicide bunny when when that was your project. Yeah, really, it had nothing to do with us. Yeah, exactly. So, you know. Yeah. Hey. But um, I, I would encourage people if you're curious, talk to the AIMSA members. They're they're good people and they're busting their butts to do a good job. I'm very proud of them, and I feel very honored that they've supported me in, in these efforts and right really made this thing happen. And we've gotten a lot done. Right on, Not right enough, on. But we've gotten a lot done. There he goes, thanks, everybody. Guys. Lou from AIMSA.org. And Ed, thanks for your questions as well. Cheers. So, guys, after all that, listen, it comes, and this, this is, this is pretty much a lock, all right? Whatever you think about the, the health effects, anything like that, if, you, if you're a manufacturer, bottom line is the day is coming pretty soon that you will not be allowed by law to use any of this stuff. They know what diacetyl is. They currently prohibit it from being used for cigarette flavorings. I don't know why they, they get a Well, they get a pass because it's in there because of the natural you know process. But if they are outlawing something, for cigarettes, and now under under the same act, under the tobacco control and the family protect, all that shit, under the same thing, they're tasked now with doing e-cigarettes. Do you think for a second they're going to let this chemical go by? There's no chance. So it's not easy. From you know, if you believe what 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 uh, what Lou said, it's not easy to do this, but it can be done. It's been proven. It can be done. You have time. You do have time. Do something about it now. It's not impossible. And if you don't think that this is the right way to do it, make your own fucking organization. And if you want me to test some more stuff, send me money or do it yourself. That's, that's, maybe that's what I should title the show. Do it yourself. Nobody's going to stop you.